Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Was your mum in the Amazon studying spiders right before she died? No, she was listening to the UBP. <laughs> the UBP, the UBP, the UBP. As my throat fails me, but it doesn't matter because this is the Entitled Panda Podcast. I'm Scott Tilford. That's you in passing. They'll never see me coming. <laughs> we were just reminiscing before we started recording, and we will get to people's questions, talking points, etc. across the industry, that there's not been an impersonable Marvel villain in a while, maybe since Iron Man 3. Yeah, I mean, for context, I literally, my brain is so dumb that on this Friday morning, <laughs> think of all the useful things I could have carried with me over the last 10 years. Eh. And just, there was a little voice in the back of my head that went, you and do the, do the Mandarin voice. Do, do, do it. And just, I just came out with it. So there we go. Now the Mandarin's on my brain. Iron I mean, Man 3, good movie. I, I mean, we're not going to talk about MCU stuff hardly at all, but I remember when that was coming out. I remember the big twist. I saw it at midnight. I remember thinking people were going to hate it. I remember the whole back and forth on what happened with that villain being a big rug pull and then they were going to do the mandarin properly later on i guess they kind of did in shang chi but like eh? oh, no, i didn't see it mate you don't see shang chi i'm man three good movie though shane black innocent mm, interesting i i'm not a big shane blacksman but oh. i understand the uh the interesting i've not, still not finished the nice guys what about what i know oh but Didn't what like about it? what are your thoughts on lethal weapon saxophone i like lethal weapon a lot i uh I was more of a die-hard man. Yeah. So yeah, I think as, as well room, as this room for both me. There I is. It definitely is. Yeah. I need to. I need to rewatch all the Lethal Weapons. Did you watch the Lethal Weapon TV show? No, I did watch back? a little bit of it. But actually, on the top, on the topic of Shane Black, mm. I think the reason why that quote came into my head this morning is that I'm literally wearing my last Boy Scout like hat that. right now, which is a Shane Black uh, scripted movie directed by Tony Scott. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Going, this is the most tangential thing ever, but however, I think it was worth it so that everyone could hear my Mandarin <laughs> voice. That's, it's got to be done. Also, yeah. if you haven't seen um, The Last Boy Scout or Last Action Hero, which I don't even think is him. No, Last but Action Hero is John McTiernan, who is arguably the greatest action director up there with John Woo for me. Yeah, people should go watch those movies if yeah. they haven't already. Um, but yes, we always ask for people's questions, whatever they want us to talk about on the Untitled Banter Pod. And first question from Hedera Bra, who says, Bomb Rush Cyberpunk was snubbed at the TGAs. The TGAs are kind of whack. It's always got one game that just steals everyone else's thunder. Boo Suicide Squad, remake Gotham City Imposters, and what they want for Christmas is others to prosper in health. Where, wherever you are, Josh Brown, we love you. Same from me and you. And um, this is a lot of stuff. Now, I asked people for what they want for Christmas. I want their general thoughts on Suicide Squad, etc. And me and you did do a video on the uh, recent sort of gameplay deep dive thing that Rocksteady put out. And that game is just impossible to stay positive about. Um, there might be slightly impressive looking gameplay, but then it's always carved by the, um, the premium currency or potential 
digital premium currency stuff and the Battle Pass stuff, etc. Um, thoughts on the Game Awards, though? A lot of people asked about like general snubs, and there's a few more questions about that as well. But thoughts on the Game Awards, the nominations that have come out so far? I think they all make sense. I mean, there's, there's okay. stuff on there that I feel... I know. Saw, I saw some people complaining that Jedi Survivor didn't make the cut, mm. which to be fair, I, I can see the argument for because I really did love that game in terms of sequels that I had very, like, kind of had, like, decent expectations for, but nothing mm. amazing, and then it kind of really surpassed those for me, despite the technical issues. I guess you could argue that's a bit of a shocking one, but I think everything that's on there for me is, like, consensusly considered the best of the year. Yeah, I, I was more, like, snubby. I thought Final Fantasy sixteen was snubbed in the main Game of the Year awards. Oh, exactly, um, yeah. I would have swapped Mario Wonder out, personally, but, um, and then there was a few other things um, like in, it, the, the hilarious thing with the Game Awards is that the indie category this year, Baldur's Gate 3 would qualify and Dave the Diver shouldn't qualify because um, it's owned by Nexon, who are like this $200 billion Korean company. But it's like, yeah, the way that those things rolled out, it's like that it's factually not an indie game uh, for Dave the Diver anyway. It's interesting how those percep- how our perception of indie is so informed by the style of game that is made. Let's. I was going to say, I, we got a question about this. I'll roll in JP's question, who said, uh, my philosophical question for you two boys is, what is an indie game? Is it the feel? Is it the passion? Or does it have to be from a certain independent developer? The inclusion of Dave the Diver in the best indie category at the VGAs has many people scratching their heads. This is a thing that um, Kind of Funny's Greg Miller tweeted about as well, saying that he had a big argument, um, I forget who with, one of the other co-hosts, um, about what an indie game is. Um, and it was, Greg was saying that it has to fundamentally be independent, like independently produced. Um, I think it was Andy Cortez was the person he was talking to, who said it's not about that, it's about feel. And it's something, I haven't watched the full debate, but I know that the general, that is is the other argument that it's feel. It's interesting, isn't it? Because we've seen so many independent developers get acquired over mm. you know, the last decade or so. And I feel like they're still doing independently spirited works based on the budget allotted and the kind of game being made and the scope mm. of the games. I think if anything, this is like an indictment of what the AAA video game space has become <laughs> that we're so conditioned to like third person, first person shooters, action adventure games, you know, whatever, as being the AAA, you know, the the, the non-independently produced game benchmark. Yes. And so anything within that space that isn't falling into those archetypes isn't considered like it is still considered like indie almost it's mm-hmm. a bit weird to be fair like i feel like we're, there probably is like a lot of like genuine reason to like you know really nail down this definition for i me, think so. it's just a case of like i i don't know like it is a really really weird one because you look at something like boulders which is technically an independent game but the amount of resources and stuff that has gone in behind that I think maybe we just need to redefine, you know, indie is so burned into the gaming lexicon yes. that we maybe need to come up with a different term of being like, well, you know, best small budget, you know, studio game, but anything that <laughs> it still needs to be as digestible <laughs> and punchy as indie. It's like, it's one of those things where across the 2010s, obviously there was that whole argument about whether games could be art and that explosion across um, 2012 through 2014-ish of all the smaller indie titles that started taking on lives of their own and the indie label became its own thing. Um, but that indie label is almost fundamentally tied to pixel platformers or like lower budget stuff. It just tends to be 2D stuff. Um, I'm fully on, I'm fully for the indie means independent. Like it's, I personally think it's ludicrous that Dave the Diver is in there. Um, like I said, when it's made by a billion dollar company, that's just stupid to me. Um, and so I'm firmly with the, let's make some actual rules here because what the hell are we doing? Like, I don't even get how they can take the, how the game most takes itself seriously if it's say, if it's having categories like that. Because um, then it would just mean that any big team could make a pixelated title that it would be like, you know, it would be soft to do another Valiant Hearts. Is that now an indie game? Because it has an indie feel? Like what the hell are we doing? It's, it's definitely, I feel feel like yeah we're, we're, we're more thinking about budgets there aren't we mm. we're looking at like the scope and stuff and yeah i, I love your idea though of like if you have a, a set of rules where it's like you have a triple a category or, or whatever it's a weird thing because
because um, you're trying to, or we are trying to like draw lines around um, qualitative things. And it's like, yeah, I like the idea of having budgeted categories or something like that. Um, but I just think it, it's more for me that Baldur's Gate is the anomaly. Like you're not going to get games of that budget that are funded by the owner of the company. I think it's Sven Vink is the guy that owns Larian. Um, who put his, his own money into it to get it over the finish line, that's not going to happen every year. Like, it's very, very rare. Um, and so, if anything, um, I would have had Baldur's in the independent thing this year. Um, and then I would have, David Dye would have to go somewhere else. Best gameplay loop or whatever it is. Um, but yeah, the VJs this year has been interesting for stuff like that. Um, and yeah, so a question from Kevin who says, when it comes to notes in games, what is your approach? Must read them all, read the short slash highlighted ones, or ignore them all together? I've been playing Jusant and reading most notes, but only finding half in, only finding half of them interesting, leading me to skip, but occasionally they are actually crucial world building. Where do, where do you come down on collectible stuff? It's all about that GCSE English lit skim and scan <laughs> routine, man. You got to get on that. I mean, it, it really depends. On, like, it's it's completely contextual for me. Like, if I'm mm. going into something like, uh, I'm guessing, like this is in-game law stuff that you discover. Yes. That, 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 yeah. So well, it, it can be a mix, right? Because sometimes yeah. it is fundamental. Like, if I'm if I'm playing something like uh, Elden Ring mm-hmm. or Skyrim or whatever, I, I'm so invested in the world that is being created there that I will sit down and read it. I'm not gonna read every single chapter the lusty argonian made although i <laughs> don't shame anyone for doing that because uh-huh. it is high literature um but yeah no i i'm very much here for, for those things i think it really just just depend on how much craft and detail has been put into those notes because mm-hmm. you know even if the game is well written sometimes those background elements can be tedious to get through so mm-hmm. really it really is a case of me i feel like you've got to skim and scan and come to your own judgment and if a crucial piece of lore has been put in one of these and they've not conveyed that particularly well mm-hmm. um then it's not necessarily your fault for missing that I feel like it's one of those where if they put the level of craft and attention into there, um, you will want to keep reading. Totally. I, it's interesting because, like, it depends on, like, the the mindset I have when I'm going through something. If I'm reviewing something, I'll try and read every single bit of it because um, I want to try and have as much of a holistic view on that game as possible. But I think you're less on the line for that if you're just playing through genuinely or, or casually or whatever. You're not trying to hit a certain mandate or represent that game in full. Um, I'm, this question made me think of Doom Eternal, which I absolutely effing love. But a lot of the reason I love it comes from the reading all of the stories, the optional story stuff, and then reading about how Doom Eternal fits into the timeline and I was like oh my god they've brought it all together it relates to the originals I love that stuff and most people didn't get that which is fine but like for my review I was like no this is this all it's completely factors in I love character bios I mm. love that sort of stuff I feel like again like I go on about the Arkham game so much Batman Arkham Asylum where you had those great little character bios that you would unlock from picking up interview tapes and trophies and just discovering characters and you had the great art by Carlos Deander which mm. was like accompanying them mm-hmm. They were so much fun to explore and pick up. And obviously in Marvel Spider-Man, they had the, the character bios too. Oh, Spider-Man 2 didn't have any character bios. Which is no. almost like a big kind of misstep. And again, it's one of those things, it's one aspect of, of world building which can really, really enhance your game if yeah. you put a lot, of, a lot of effort into it. And, and you know, it's a lot of work for writers to actually put these things in, so I do really appreciate them when yeah. they're good. I think most of the time though, like if uh, when a game sets out, something like Alan Wake 2, you can tell has so much texture and detail and whatever, like there is that, I mean, PR term would be the brand Bible for the, whatever that game is, but nine times out of 10, they've thought that stuff out. So it's like, yeah, why not have it in some place for you to dive in and get the whole picture? Um, yeah, I think it's kind of like a feel per game. Like if, like you said, if it's an RPG, I'm gonna be picking more stuff up, but I'm never gonna be able to read everything in Cyberpunk, like every little note that's in that game. Um, we'll shout out the Jusant, that game's lush. Um, the game fundamentally about climbing. It's really, really cool. I've only done the first couple of hours. It's on Game Pass. Um, but yeah, like again, if you like the idea of taking like Death Stranding's climbing mechanics and doubling down on them, where you're putting little pittons into the wall. Wait, 
It's, dude, it's really is, cool. Is this like the movie Cliffhanger starring Sylvester Stallone? Kinda. If you did that through like a filter of like, um, oh, what the hell was that game from the other year? Like a cel- almost cel shaded style look. Um, but you're just th- you're this person returning home to this um, like homestead that's kind of emptier, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. But you're also just returning to your people, um, and you're trying to climb all the way to the top of this big structure, and you get there however you can, basically. Um, and it sort of fil- filters you through different parts of the level. But I love that thing. Uh, I need to spend way more time with it. I think it's going to be a Christmas game. Um, I tell you what I wanted to mention though when we're talking about inventory stuff is the amount of games that put a little little like marker like a hey you've not read this yet thing in the menu don't do that i'll get there when i want to get there it's even more frustrating because i feel like half the time with these you've not read this thing it's like i have and the game's forgotten that i've read it so you have to go and clear the note yeah clearing the notification having to clear yeah. notifications in gaming is stupid i think <laughs> obviously there are always those people again shout out to josh brown who will leave like an email number just next to the, the unread number or whatever i can't leave that i have to clear all of them out um but it's one of those things where some games have a little like notification or unread thing next to an item you picked up like next to a potion in like an inventory I'm like, I'm going to mouse over that anyway. I don't need you telling me that I picked it up. I know I picked it up. That was the last thing I just did. Question from Mouse Hands, who says, hello from across the pond. Well, hello to yourself. What is a video game conspiracy you 100% believe? Theirs is the Call of Duty as a social experiment to see how much abuse a fan base is willing to take. Also, for Christmas, I want a second PlayStation 5 controller and Baldur's Gate 3 so I can play with my wife. Happy holidays. Aww. Happy holidays to you too. We've only got a few weeks left of the old working year. Um, thoughts on video game conspiracies, if anything comes to mind? Yeah, I mean, oh God, this is, I remember being, when I was going to like, date me so much i was like i remember back in the day when minecraft was like first doing the rounds and internet circles and the hero mm. brian thing kept on right. going up i was yes. like i was totally just saw hero brian in my minecraft <laughs> open world please believe me my game's possessed guys yeah so that that was what i guess that i thought of for a while i was convinced that uh Roxley had indeed pitched a superman game to Warner Brothers. but on topic of news jason schreier Mentioned yesterday that that's all bollocks. So, yeah, he was yeah. like not a shred of truth, Charles. You could yeah. have told us that four years ago, Jason. Nah, it would have, would have saved fine. us. But yeah, it's, it's interesting, isn't it? Like I, you know, video game is so closely video game development can often be so closely guarded. So which encourages fan base narratives to come up. It's mm. probably the most heavily rumored like industry, <laughs> like in the biz or whatever. So. Yeah, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big, I'm like the Oliver Stone of video game conspiracies. I see the pattern everywhere. Well, my thing with conspiracy theories, I feel like I was going to say had more um, credence isn't the right word, but we're able to travel further before the internet. But it's so not true because of the amount of misinformation that's out there and the fact that an entire community can believe something or whatever. But I used to um, back when San Andreas came out. I've talked about this on the podcast before, so I'll not talk about it too much. But I was very much a believer in the Bigfoot thing, like the idea that he's out there somewhere, and like me and my friend Stephen at the time would like stay up later on it was like oh if you go on the game at this time of night and then get your game clock to this time of night and then go to this part of the map you'll see Bigfoot uh, or the UFO or whatever and I was fully on board with that. It's so interesting because those that's really good that you've mentioned that though (laughs) because I feel like those stories and narratives which again you wouldn't really get now No, um, but those kinds of stories they really inform the development of easter eggs in Rockstar games like GTA 5 and Mm. Red Dead 2. You Mm. do have to go to certain places at the map at certain times to find unique supernatural phenomena there's the ghost on Mount Chiliad in GTA 5, yeah. which you have to find. The vampire in Red Dead 2. Mm-hmm. I love that. And I feel like that's a there's probably a really good like video essay in there, like examining that little culture of like, you know, making gamer first narratives where it's a case of like we've come up with our own thing, we're very heavily invested in this conspiratorial idea, mm-hmm. and how that later informed game design decisions. Well, I mean, I don't think there's been a, a one on 
uh, this is a weird way to phrase this, but there's not been an Easter egg on this level of this type in a while. But you know Metal Gear Solid 3, where it's like if you set the in-game console clock to a certain time, the end will just die, the yeah. boss will just die of old age or whatever. Um, that obviously was a very Kojima-based thing. Arkham City did similar stuff. With right, but even that yeah. was like 2012 or 2011 or whatever. Yeah, 2011. Like, it's yeah. been a little while. I think it um, depends on the, the level of production, I how much time they have stuff. to Can I just, do it. I need a shout-out again, because like, we've been bashing Rocksteady a lot this week. <laughs> and I mean, again, like... Maybe not totally. Not bashing them. It's very much one of those. It's, yeah. it's just frustrating. But mm-hmm. like their, com- their their world building and like level design and Easter egg layering in their games, mm-hmm. absolutely brilliant. And it's partially what's turned the entire Batman Arkham community completely raving mad <laughs> because they see look for signs and everything or whatever. Uh-huh. But I remember like when people found the the secret office in Arkham Asylum for the first time and it was like such a huge thing. Yeah. And then in Arkham City, the filing Scarecrow's bow and like seeing like I I love 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 how they achieved all of that. I tell you, that's not to, not to make everything about Warner Brothers, but like that's such a indictment on how messy they are now, where like back then during Asylum, they'd already planned City and then during City, they'd already hinted at or planned at night. And it's like, maybe they hadn't fully got we it together. We literally got you know. a trailer for um, what was Arkham City at the 2000, was it the 2009 Video Game Awards? God, it might have been. It was, um, I the, think it was, it was at the Spike Game Awards because mm. like you had that first trailer where it was the CGI Arkham City thing and it was a sick Joker and well, stuff and they didn't even have a title for Arkham City yet. Arkham Asylum was 2009, yeah, so yeah, it might have been 2010 or something. 2010, yeah. But like, still, that as a rollout, like those games having two years between them, and then four years for Arkham Knight. But um, Arkham Knight still looks gorgeous yes. now as well. Like, I mean, of all the Rocksteady things, I'm like, just put a 60 FPS mode in it, and you're done. Like that thing plays incredibly well for the most part. Anyway, um, question from Paul McSoul who says, "Okay, you're both on record for liking Gotham Knights. I thought that game was okay, but that it neutered the Court of Owls, one of my favorite groups. Can you discuss why you enjoyed it, especially your thoughts on the story? And have an awesome weekend. Um, all of you have an awesome weekend." But yeah, I actually really loved Gotham Knights. Um, I don't know if you want to go first, but I, I love that thing. Yeah, yeah. So I reviewed that for the place that I was uh, employed at in between, mm-hmm. you know, what culture tenures. And I very, screen, I, right? very, I very much enjoyed it. Mm. Um, but it was a case of like, yeah, that, I I love the, the core principles of that game. Mm-hmm. I think the execution is a little bit messy in certain places. However, um, I love the approach it takes to the Bat family. I think yep. there's a very unique, you know, approach to the open world kind of systems there. You know, people have been begging for an open world Batman game where you go out on patrol and look after a city for years. Yeah. And Gotham Knights delivers that in a pretty great way. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like when it came out at the time, and again, I'm not. this isn't me discounting people's opinions. You can totally hate that game. I can totally see why people would dislike <laughs> yeah, Gotham totally. Knights. There are lots of things in that game that don't work for me. However, mm-hmm. I very much think that the, the, it's better than, than, than it is bad. Mm-hmm. Um, I feel like when it came out, people latched onto the fact that it didn't have 60 FPS. Um, and again, it was it was an, an Arkham game. It was like Warner Brothers Montreal doing their own thing. And I think it's just, it, it's... It's weird for me. I feel like WB Games Montreal are one of the most like unfairly treated video game studios because mm. everyone now is saying how much they love Arkham Origins. And as someone who's there in the trenches when that game came out and was, <laughs> has been flying the flag for Arkham Origins since yeah, 2013, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, you, everyone owes that studio an apology because that game is genuinely brilliant. Yeah, it's and, and Gotham Knights, the same core principles, their approach to, to the Batman mythos is inherently compelling to me. Mm. And I just think... Yeah, it's it's just it. Yeah, I mean, I, I love the open world court loop. I love the idea of like the the villain knights. I thought that was great. Um, I think maybe you would have benefited from like four player co op and a great yeah. variety of side missions. It really is just a matter of like the the art design could have. There's just certain little bits of polish that I think would have benefited mm. that a bit more because it's nowhere near as 
crisp as the Arkham Well, that's games. the thing. Yeah, I like I said, I really loved it. I, to get the negatives out of the way, for me, by far the biggest negatives are the boss battles because they're fundamentally built for multiple players. They're built for co-op. Like when you fight Harley and her dogs, you're supposed to be in two places of the map at once yeah. and you're running around defusing bombs and it just feels like a weird uh, multiplayer raid that's just been left in for the single player. Um, we said in the news that we did on Suicide Squad about um, the fact that you can tell the Gotham Knights is a leftover live service game. Like they clearly wanted to make that a whole monetizable premium currency pile of BS and then as that um, reception was so negative, they, I, to me at least, they gutted everything out and sold it as a single player. However, I still think there's so much to love in there, specifically the characters. I love the relationship between all four characters. That game made me like Red Hood. And yeah. I absolutely, I've never been one to be like, oh, Jason Todd was a great decision to bring him back. Do you see way to go? This game actually made me like, I like how they did something with those characters. I yeah. thought it was immaculately performed, really well written. Um, and like navigating like trauma in a video game was mm. like, I thought that was really well. The, the side mission where Barbara Gordon is like, she has that moment where she's like, I can't even remember what my, my dad looked like. Yes. like. That is like a really you know, personal implementation of, of like trauma and how we like, we, we react to the memories of lost loved ones and stuff. I thought it was really, really good. Mm -hmm. I, I, and you know, it, it is, a shame. it feels like a game that was kind of swept up in the narratives around Warner Brothers more generally. And you mentioned the gutting of the live service stuff. It's a yeah. shame because that Gotham world that they created would have been ideal for a live service. Like <laughs> I look at that, that open world and I feel like mm. that's what you would have wanted from a live, obviously the Avengers is more bigger, so you can't really do that. But for, mm -hmm. for Batman, it makes perfect sense to have a really detailed open world Gotham. And it, despite the frame rate issues, the lighting in that game is some of the best lighting that we've got and the ray tracing and stuff. Photo looks mode fantastic. Gorgeous. It's yeah. beautiful. Mm -hmm. um, it could have easily plugged in and played different villains into that world. And it yeah. was a shame because the only DLC we got for that was like a raid thing with yeah. Starro. It's um, like I said, my overall thing was that I loved playing as all four characters. I like switch switching between all four of them. It's not that each of their fighting styles were hugely different, but to me, they were different enough. Um, I like, and the way that Red Hood plays, he's so brutal and bruisery and like sl yeah, gun foo, but then slamming dudes into walls and stuff. But then Robin was so flippy and cool and fast and snappy. Um, and it's like, I liked all that stuff. And then like, you know, like you said, it felt like you were looking after Gotham. The, the only issue I think with that is that I really think they overthought some of the visual elements. Mm. Like some, a lot of the suits typically over-designed video game suit nonsense. But <laughs> oh also yeah, there's some bad the whole, stuff. Like, you know, the bat cycle was really fun. Mm -hmm. They could have made it a little bit more Fast. kinetic and faster. <laughs> um, the, the issue I had was that they, they tried the different traversal things. And we've, got, we've seen this with Suicide Squad as well. And I feel like this has been like a top-down mantra. Yeah. They need to have different traversal stuff to make them unique. Mm -hmm. Nightwing has always been able to use like his own inbuilt like cape glider thing. Like they right. should, if they carried across the gliding from Arkham, it would have been totally fine. The worst thing, the teleporter for Robin, that, that made no sense. That was just how boring is that? You go into a load screen where you just. <laughs> Usually, want to zap down that made no sense. Yeah, that's that was it. That's the thing. You can easily. No one's saying that it doesn't have negatives. It very much does. It's just that core feeling of good, solid character writing. Why they're doing what they're doing, and then how they interact with each other. The fact that you're going out and doing a few um, crimes, looking after Gotham, banking your XP, unlocking stuff every night, um, and then I thought that game's art design was just so solid. You mentioned Gotham, and the photo mode really makes it pop. You can zoom way out and do really cool cinematic shots. There's some cool filters Mr. in there. Mr. Freeze level it looks gorgeous. Freeze, yeah, that level's great. Even though the boss is a bit naff, but but like overall, like the costumes are great. You just look awesome taking care of it. I just had a lot of fun just have in the bat fiction. Um, and I think the framing of like, okay, Batman's dead. What the hell are we going to do? Um, I think they handled that really well. And I like the idea of four different approaches from the different characters on how they want to, you know, look after Gotham, be the next Batman, be the next like, you know, force that takes care of everything during the night. So I had a lot of stuff that I enjoyed about it, even though I totally take on board the negatives. It's ne it was never going to win game of the year. It's just that it wasn't I, horrific. I do think it's going to be another, I don't think it's going to be another Arkham Origins people 
look back and go, oh, this game was like one of the best. Ever. No. But I do think that will, people will look back at this game in years' time and be like, okay, maybe we did treat it a bit too harshly. I'll tell you another <laughs> um, negative that stands out when you go back to it is that the weird way they did the combat, it's worth flagging that because it takes a bit of getting used to. You have to like pre-bake when you want to hit something. Yeah. You sort of hold a button ahead of time, finish the animation, go into the next thing. And that is a weird feeling. But that does tighten up based on who the you're combo playing. combo system I loved though. Mm. I think like yeah, the loot issue was, 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 was frustrating. I think my, my lasting negative of that game is that it kind of feels like they ended develop like it feels like the third act completely <laughs> like they, they were the the pacing of the third act is ridiculous you don't even realize that you're in the final level mm. when you get there which mm. is really really kind of like fail floor game design we should touch on the court of owl stuff funnily enough it was one of my positives um i liked the fact that like i said or we said you're already looking after a gotham that you're um checking as a day night cycle kind of thing in terms of your choosing when the day ends i liked that the court of owls kind of popped up underneath that and you started noticing different crimes that related to them and then when you finally descend into the area that is where the court of owls is that art direction and the way they handled that mission i I personally loved that yes. stuff. Um, so for me, it totally worked, even though I know, obviously, if you read the source material, there's a lot more they could have done. Um, but I thought as like a as a casual way to do it, maybe they built, they were going to build on it later with DLC season pass stuff that they never got around to or whatever. Like we've said, that game's development seems like it was a mess. I still like the way they handled it. And it felt like a mysterious force that I don't understand that has, like, you know, there's operating in the underbelly of Gotham. Like I liked all that stuff. Totally agree. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is one of those games that is the most <laughs> maligned thing of the last few years. Question from the 321st Gunner of 2023. Should remakes have priority over non-remakes when it comes to the Game Awards? I feel like it's criminal that Resident Evil 4 earned a top spot over Final Fantasy 16, especially when one furthers the medium and one rehashes old but good stuff. This was another conversation that came out of the Game Awards. I, uh... I know what the core of this is getting at, but I don't think Resident Evil 4 is it. Um, this year's Resident Evil 4 is a completely different game. Like, well, not completely different, but like plays completely differently. Um, I think they've done so much to it that it's nowhere near the same as if the Resident Evil 4 HD version was nominated for Game of the Year a few years ago. Or like when we had that little spate of um, the prototype remaster. And it's like that weird conversation on what's a remaster, what's a remake. Um, some of the mo most of that conversation was when the Crash and Spyro trilogies got remade um, and they still played the same. And at the time, and I mostly still stand by this, I didn't think they qualified as new games because they played the same. The wire meshes, the physics, they're the same. Um, and so I think it's that thing. I think if you've gone in and changed something from the guts up, um, weirdly, and this is such a specific distinction, um, I think Resident Evil 4, the new one, qualifies as a game of 2023. I think this year's Dead Space doesn't, but I could see the argument for this year's Dead Space. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
This podcast is brought to you by Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. One of the things I love about Indeed is that it just makes hiring all in one place so easy because you just get unparalleled access to job seekers. Plus, listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com WCG. Just go to Indeed.com slash WCG right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash WCG. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. That game does have a, have some parts that are gutted and changed. Some of the level layouts are changed, but it's way closer to the original. Um, as I'm saying it, I mean, there are a lot of elements to the new Dead Space that I could see the argument for it. Yeah. But I think if Dead Space was nominated, all the general conversation around RE4 would apply more to Dead Space, this year's Dead Space, than RE4. Yeah, that's interesting. I haven't really given it much thought. I mean, on a base level, I'd be like, well, Dead Space is a full remake, therefore you would think that it would qualify. But I guess yeah, Resident Evil 4, it, it's more a reimagination of like mm-hmm. the like the, the original game. So It definitely hits all the yeah, same It hits like, the same beats, beats and stuff. And like, you have the same kind of levels and moments, but kind mm-hmm. of reconfigured. Mm-hmm. I don't know, like, I feel like, um, I think a remake can still push the industry forward. Like, even if it's, mm-hmm. like, revisiting an old story or whatever, like, mm-hmm. it's still, you know, it's still reimagining stuff. Like, remakes, fundamentally, mm-hmm. this goes to, like, movies as well as, like, you know, games themselves. Like, mm-hmm. you can make brilliant stuff from remakes. Yeah. Um, so I'm not necessarily, I don't necessarily agree with the idea that, like, it, FF16 deserves to be on there more than... RE4, simply because of the fact that it isn't a remake. Yeah, I think it's an overall game quality thing. I just think it's, I mean, for me, Final Fantasy 16 is my game of the year, as I keep screaming from the rooftops. I think that thing is phenomenal. But I, I wouldn't say 16 pushes the medium forward. It's um, it's interesting for what it does for Final Fantasy as an IP, because it changed it into a Devil May Cry game for a bit, which is cool. Um, but yeah, I think it's, it's an interesting conversation. I don't think RE4 is the thing you can hang that conversation on, even though I know what people are getting at. Um, and I think it's a potentially slippery slope, but it would need something, to me at least, it would need something more like the Dead Space remake or the Mario RPG remake, something where the guts of it are really are the same gameplay wise. Um, because RE4 2023 play, plays completely differently, at least I would say it does. Um, to the sort of you can't even like run and shoot in the original RE4, which to me was always one of the big positives. But things like that that have been changed quite a lot. Um, a question from Alpha Oliver who says, "Do we prefer gameplay narration like it's done in Alan Wake One and Two, or do you feel like the game is Atreusing you around?" Also, what is it about Mario Wonder that makes it a game of the year nominee? Is it not just another colorful platformer? Have a lovely weekend. Um, let's do Alan Wake stuff first. Do you prefer like overt narration, or does that feel like it's too handholdy? It's it's, it's it, it, this is a discussion of genre. Like yeah. for me, as someone who loves noir, mm-hmm. like uh, having that kind of hard boiled narration over the top, I love that. But mm-hmm. it's not going to work for every game. Like you wouldn't want that kind of narration in something like a Halo or <laughs> you know like a Red Dead. Like it's very. I, knew I had to shoot the grunts. But like you know, for, for a game like Alan Wake, where it's very much you know within working within that Lynchian framework. Work, you know, which comes from noir, classic noir. Mm-hmm. Um, it works perfectly. 
for me. Like I, I yeah. enjoy that stuff. I, I enjoy yeah, I think, monologue. I think there's a difference between um, like adding to the narrative, adding to the character and the overall idea of like the, the confidence in the writing and the authorship and then tutorializing and like the, the thing that's emerged out of modern Sony, especially God of War Ragnarok and Horizon Forbidden West is just telling you what to do. Yeah. Like especially when it comes to any sort of remote roadblock or puzzle and having a character or in, in um, Aloy's case, just have her say, I think I need to shoot this, but saying it immediately. Like Atreus does that at every single puzzle point in Ragnarok. I think that's why it became a bit of a like a meme or a talking point or whatever. Um, I yeah, I love the narration. I love Remedy's writing anyway, but I love the narration in Max Payne and Alan Wake and Control. Um, and there's bits of it in Quantum Break as well. But um, yeah, I think it depends how much it feels like it serves the core of the if game. If it's encroaching on gameplay, then yeah. It yeah, because it's like, yeah. why even have a puzzle section in God of War if you're going to just tell me what to do immediately, like literally immediately, um, and then repeat the thing as you play it out. Like I, I get that they must have done focus testing or test audiences who got stuck and they want to mitigate that as much as possible. But um, if it's just immediate, or just give me an option. Let me hit the button that says, give me a clue or something. Um, I think that's better. Uh, Mario Wonder. Um, I know you've not played Mario Wonder. I pretty much did it in like two sittings. I adore Mario. I was lucky enough to go to the Nintendo World this year in Japan. Um, I love Mario, but I wasn't blown away by Wonder. I just I don't think it's just another Mario, but it also is not enough to escalate that much above that. It's very, very tight. I love the different power-ups that you get. I think it plays beautifully, but they all do. It's Mario. He's played beautifully since the beginning. And so I thought that they kind of showed off a lot of their best levels in the trailers beforehand, and there wasn't that much left to blow me away. Um, you know, like in Mario, you have the pipes. I don't know if you saw the trailer for Mar Mario Wonder where he's riding a pipe. That's some cool stuff. Do a million more things like that. Um, they don't really. They don't really get like hyper inventive with like, you know, in, in a way that makes you go like, oh my God, they're doing cool whatever it is. Um, like it's not like you're like, I don't know, detonating 50p blocks all at once, which I know won't mean anything to people who don't play uh, Mario stuff. But overall, yeah, it's it's beautifully made. It's almost one of those games where you can't find a fault, um, which is that down that whole lens of like, well, isn't Tetris the greatest game of all time or Pong? Because like it nails the parameters it was going for. Um, but yeah, Mario Wonder is absolutely gorgeous. It's not that it's not a game of the air um, because it's so proficient. It's just that I didn't I didn't come away from it going like, oh my God. I just came away from it going like, yeah, cool. Of course, of course you nailed it again. Like it's Nintendo, it's Little Mario. Cute elephant Mario, man. I, I, I tell you what, right? That's one of the weird negatives is that, or I would say is a negative, is that the powers aren't really that great. Like elephant Mario, cool. You can hit a button and you can thwack some blocks and you can suck up water and chuck it on flowers. Um, but the other two power-ups that are new are uh, bubbles that you can throw out or a drill head so you can jump and drill through parts of the environment. And you can then become the driller killer. You can be the yeah, actual drill boy and then go across the top of a level instead. Like, it's just a bit like, okay, sure. Like, some of the stuff that you get where you can double jump or chuck a vine out and swing like Spider-Man, they're more fun. Um, but yeah, I it's one of those where, like, I, I see it, I totally see it, but it wouldn't have been my pick because it would have been Final Fantasy 16. Question from Stephen Sheehan, who says, the UNBP, you've spoken about the best game of the year and the worst game of the year at points, but what has been your most surprising game of the year? Something that you thought you would hate, but you loved, or vice versa? Now, I have a perfect pick for this, but you can go first if you want. Yeah, I mean, I, again, like, I, I was not expecting to like Jedi Survivor. Right. I was like, a, at that point in time, I'm still really burnt out on Star Wars. Same. Like, I came on, to, like, I literally ended up pre-ordering that thing the day the reviews all dropped and were, hey, it as we know this is really you know confident step forward for the series this is you know respawn reiterating why they're so talented as a group of developers well clearly i need to go play this and i, I, I love that that game i did not expect to have as good a time with that game as I ended up Same. having like i gave the when my review did i fall in order for what culture i think i gave that like seven and a half out of ten mm -hmm. 
Um, which is the it's a good review, but it's like it's not like oh this was like you know it really lasted long with me or whatever. Mm. Whereas with this, it was like wow, this is great. In terms of surprises, I've not played it yet, but RoboCop Rogue City. That's, like, what, that's what I'm going to yeah, talk about. Like that, like <laughs> that for me is really exciting, and I will definitely be playing that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just as a person who enjoys licensed games and even the bad ones, like I just I enjoy yeah. being in those spaces. The licensed games kind of made a little bit of a return. Like you have different um, budgetary levels to it, but it's like there's an Avatar game now. Like a, I mean, there hasn't been one in a long time like 10 12 years 2010's avatar for uh for, uh, for ubisoft made that one as well and it wasn't that yes. bad a game either that one was pretty decent there's whatever that one was that lets you get like all 100 gamer points by just hitting the attack button over and over again because you can do, it's it, you get everything by just on a combo multiplier and because that game opens on an endless wave of enemies you can just do that um but yeah there's a new, there's an avatar game that came out on switch and everything but that didn't review very well robocop is something that i didn't expect at all and i guess i'm not tracking and i forget the name of the devs the dudes that made terminator uh, resistance is it Tayon, yeah, I think? Yeah. 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 Um, I thought Terminator Resistance was really, really solid, but it didn't, like, you know, it's it's very hard to recommend overtly because the gameplay is just, it's basic shooting gameplay. It's more about the atmosphere, the awesome version of the theme song that's in there. But they are very clearly a dev that loves that era. Um, and it reminds me of, like, when Ed Boon and the NetherRealm people for Mortal Kombat 11 were like, we have the budget, we're just going to bring in Rambo and Robocop and we're just going to do this because we grew up with it. Um, all of that love is in Robocop Rogue City. But the thing that I wasn't expecting, alongside really nice, chunky shooting, where you can grab dudes by the throat and throw them along, throw them around the areas and everything. Are these really cool little like semi-open world chunks where you can just go solve crimes or you can put a parking ticket on a car or you can like go to a bunch of hoodlums that are like outside a shop and they're blasting their music and you can be like, um, please turn it down or whatever and then put your arm through the radio if they don't do can it. Can you request an Oreo? Uh, not maybe I've not done that yet. Have you yet. seen that clip of the documentary this week? Where no. They, the screen box of a documentary on Robo, the making of RoboCop. Right. And there's a, a clip went viral this week of like more of the uh, prop guys basically like having a packet of Oreos and Peter Well was getting ready to shoot a bit mm-hmm. and and he saw the Oreos and he was like Robo wants an Oreo <laughs> and there's like a whole thing. It's watch it after this and everyone okay. listening should watch it as well. But that's why I was asking if you could procure an Oreo. Not just yet, unless that may, might be distracting <laughs> somewhere. But like yeah, that whole thing where like they really commit to the bit, like your general movements. Speed is fast enough, but it's very leaden and heavy. And you, you, it's the IJ made it such a meme, but you do feel like Robocop. And then you get all the dialogue choices and all these different interactions, and you're solving little mini things like what happened to this person went missing or whatever. And um, alongside, you know, in between that, you just get these proper good shooting levels that just have really meaty weaponry. Um, and you also have a, like the vision modes, like it does that thing where the, the horizontal and the vertical line come together to like make a cross and show you where to aim or where someone's shooting you or whatever. Um, it's let down a little bit by some of the cutscene animation. Um, it goes in and out of frame rates, and sometimes it doesn't fully... You know that Unreal Engine thing where the next texture pops in later? Um, it has a little bit of that. I know it's been patched a bit, and I have been playing it a lot. Um, so after a while, you kind of get used to it. But that's one of the only negatives. Like I think for what they're aiming for, um, I was not like blown away, but there's so many times that I had a big grin on my face. Like this is really fun. I you guys totally know what it, it is. If they became the AE's action movie to video mm. game developers, like give me Lethal Weapon, give me a co-op <laughs> Lethal Weapon shooter, whatever, with lots of saxophone. Yeah, you know? I mean, there's like there's tons of stuff that they can mine, and it feels like, like there hasn't been a Rambo game since that stupid. That's the one that they made. It's the was same that people. them too? Oh, I yeah, hunch yeah. that was them. Okay, yeah, yeah. so they definitely started on the bottom. So they, they've come a long <laughs> way since that as well, yeah. which is like you know. There's 
there's more you could do with uh, with a decent Rambo game that's more maybe in the vein of like a Far Cry type thing. Far Cry's been See, a Rambo it's game funny, for a while. Like, I, I could Rambo would have or Rambo more, two onwards. Rambo yeah. would have more weight to it. I would yeah. love them to do a proper Predator game because the one that we got mm. fr from the other year really didn't do it. Hunting e ground, even yeah. though it had like the right premise, the asymmetrical style gameplay, totally. just, the polish was just not there. Mm -hmm. um, I'd love to see just get Arnie in the gaming space. I want to see more <laughs> from from my boy. Um, well, well, they get yeah. um, you know they've got um, Peter Weller back for Robocop Rogue City. Like it's all his voice acting, and it's worth saying that they like nail the character. It's very much the torment era of Robocop, like in the original one, um, which obviously is a franchise. It kind of got away. Same with Rambo, like got away from that core thing to invest uh, to interrogate. Um, but you do post mission um, psychological evaluations where you're talking to like a therapist who's trying to understand just how much of um, Alex Murphy is left in there, and you can answer different questions and stuff. And it's like that's really cool. I wasn't expecting that from a Robocop game at all. Um, so they do kind of go a bit extra mile than just a shooter. So yeah, I like really, really shout out Robocop Rogue City. Um, question from John Anderton's mushy face, who says best video game to movie adaptation and best movie to video game adaptation. So I need to shout out uh, James because he's on the he was on the Wheel of Dad movies podcast the other week. Shout out. We did an episode on Ronin, which mm -hmm, I don't mm -hmm. know if you've ever seen Ronin, Scott. The uh, Jean Reno one. Yes. Yeah, I've seen Ronin. Amazing movie. Yes. Love that movie to pieces. Mm -hmm. So shout out to him. Best, uh, which was best video game to movie. Video game to movie. Um, I mean, I, the more the original Mortal Kombat is like yeah, that's the one that I always go back to because like, even though I don't think it's like perfect like it's still a fun time if i'm going to look for a video game movie mm -hmm. i'm going to be looking for that or the og street fighter on, on like for just campus yeah. <laughs> raul julia jean claude van damme they like. are the only good thing oh, i didn't see when when this i'm just going to go i'm going to shoot from the hip on what my brain served up when i read this best video game to movie adaptation detective pikachu you you can't be i mean the original pokemon movie phenomenal that's that's different is that the Pokemon anime is not like that to no, me? No, the movie. I know, yeah, but the original Pokemon anime it, that, that was a, that was a movie of the anime. Like it's so weird to me growing up. Like this might be completely daft to say, but it's uh. not the Pokemon anime animated series. Is that just like so? Well, no, uh, the game came first. Yeah, I know, then, I know yeah. the game came first, but like the anime feels so far removed from what the original <laughs> game was that calling the movie a video game movie feels wrong to me because the anime is such its own identity. Oh, not not back in the 150 era though. Like oh, they were no, so late. Me, like again, like as someone who never played the games, but I was obsessed with the anime. Right. Like for me, the games never like that. It's it's so weird because I feel like it's not enough of a narrative. And oh, I don't know. I'm probably like that's interesting. Well, the, uh, that you're, I think you're right for the first few years of it, and then when they did Pokemon Yellow, they were like literally your Ash, literally that's Pikachu. Yes. Like try and play the yeah. the series. Um. But yeah. But still, for video game to movie, for me, it would be Detective Pikachu. If it's not, then the first Silent Hill. I I always really mm. like the original Silent Hill just because of the way that it's shot. I love those big sweeping camera angles that kind of mimic the video game cam. And I think that they got, uh, at least for the time, the effects are really good. Um, and I really like that. Best movie to video game adaptation? I'm going Toy Story 2. Oh my God, what a throwback, yeah. dude. I mean, I was watching Mind Pulp on YouTube the other right. week. The really great channel that I discovered the other, the other month that I would give everyone a hard recommendation to go check out because they basically just explore old licensed video games. Show. And the Toy Story 2 game, wow, I had that on Dreamcast. And I, <laughs> when they were going through Andy's house in that game, the bit where you fight the, the giant... Like the big robot, like the big robot, and the oh man, I hate racing that guy. RC around the car. I hated as well. that guy. <laughs> God, best, best. Oh man, this is so tricky because I've played so many licensed games, and mm -hmm. there are like so many that are rattling around in my brain. I mean, <laughs> Spider-Man Two is obviously you know a pretty big. Shout oh god, that. Like yeah, that, yeah, yeah, that totally fits the Raimi Spider-Man too. Yeah, the Raimi Spider-Man too. Oh man, this is gonna absolutely like wind me. That's up a king pick. Now. To be fair, you can have you can have I Raimi Spider-Man too. I could just dwell on that one because <laughs> otherwise I'm gonna be going. Mm, uh, There's a lot. I mean, we we mentioned like the era of licensed stuff before. That the 2000s were the era for it. Matrix Path of Neo is a banger as well. Yeah. 
I yeah, there's uh, there's some good stuff around. I was thinking of, like some of the Lego games, but I guess they were all, they always came after the yeah uh, after the movie. No, no, well, Lego Star Wars I, was pretty good. I spoiled Revenge of the Sith by playing Lego <laughs> Star Wars before the Lego Anakin. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, literally my dad was like, "Oh, you remember we're not going to get to see Revenge of the Sith for a new week, so don't play the Episode Three level." And we blitzed through Episode One and Two, and I was uh, just like, "I'm going to play it anyway." So <laughs> the first time I experienced the story of Anakin's downfall, was, right. Was in Lego Star Wars. That's Red, hilarious. Uh, the 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 compl- no, not the compl- no. It was the just Lego Star Wars the video game. Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. Because yeah, yeah. all his um, his like evil eyes when he's just got the little evil cartoon eyes. <laughs> Same with Palpatine. And um, we had a question from JWT who says, "For Christmas, I'm torn between what to get um what game to ask my partner for: Star Wars Jedi Survivor or Robocop Rogue City. Um, both look great fun single player experiences. I'm hyped for both, but which would you recommend?" I think just Jedi Survivor. Uh, yeah. I, I mean, love Robocop, yeah. um, but Jedi Survivor, now that it's been completely patched and overhauled and the devs literally tweeted saying, we've rebuilt the thing, so it runs way better. Um, that game's gorgeous. Jedi Survivor is... Um, it, it, I loved that game. Like, I really, really adored it, even mm. with the issues. So the fact that you're probably going to get a completely bug-free version of that yes. with, like, completely polished and stuff, um, that, to me, is, like, one of the greatest Star Wars games ever made. Yep. So I, it's in my top three Star I Wars would, games. Yeah, so, I, yeah. It's, it was such a shame, and obviously I went on about it so much, but I was genuinely infuriated with the state that thing released in in terms of its performance mode, but it has all been patched, and there's so much to love. And they're one of the only devs or writing teams or just teams in general that get what modern Star Wars is. Um, and like you said before, we're both really burned out on Star Wars, but sometimes when you get a good slice of it where it knows which feet to have in the quirky prequel era stuff and which feet to have in the more serious stuff, um, there's a way for that to work that actually does unify all those identities into one, which is really rare. Even the movies can't get that right. Um, so yeah, I think that it, it would be Jedi Survivor from us. Um, question from Honest NPC who says, with Strauss Zelnick's view on charging games by length and Modern Warfare 3's negative reception for its four-hour campaign, are we going to see a rise in padded game length to justify a full-price title? Also, will GTA 6 be the first title to charge over £70 for the base game? Stay awesome. Um, Strauss Zelnick is, um, I forget what his exact title is, but he's from Take Two. The dude's the own rock star. Um, so he was just talking about how much value, the value proposition of um, of things like GTA and the idea of charging based on length, which is, I feel like every few years, some business analyst says something about um, the idea that you pay like 10, 12 pounds for a movie ticket, that's two hours uh, or two and a half hours, three hours versus you pay 40 pounds or dollars or $50, $60 um, and you get a hundred hours. And there's always someone who says like, ah, oh, that should be, we should be charging 200 pounds or whatever for these things. Yeah, I mean, it, that's such a dumb way of reasoning it though <laughs> because it's like, you got to think of like like budgetary stuff. Like yes. it's, it's, so, it's, it's such a weird way to break things down. Mm-hmm. And like, I do worry that you maybe have because again, we we've said this before. GTA Six is gonna be the biggest game ever made. It's yeah. gonna be, it's gonna be absolutely huge. They could probably charge, they could charge what they wanted. To. That's what's scary. I had about a question it. for you, Scott. Yeah. Like, because this is like you know, I was born in 1996, so for me, video games have always been well. When I was growing up, they were 40 pounds, 40 yes. or 50 pounds. Yeah, same. And, you know, I'm 1989, and yeah. that was the same. Yeah. When uh, so back in the, the early 90s, were they? Because I'm if you go back to the early days of like physical media for movies, VHS tapes, laser discs, they could be really, really expensive mm. back in the day. Mm-hmm. Has it been a case of where was, was there ever a point in time where owning video games was like more expensive than the price point that it came to eventually and we landed on, or is it just a case of it has steadily increased? It, I, it tends to always fluctuate based on the generation itself. Like you at the beginning, I remember getting Mega Drive games like they they were like thirty pounds, forty pounds, and like maybe that's a regional thing. I'm in the northeast of England. Uh, we are in the northeast of England, but um, I always remember that being a really high price point. And I remember over the years when PS1 games came out and PS2 games came out, thinking, why the hell is this still the same when the graphical quality, the, the amount of game I'm getting is, is more? 
um, this feels weird, and then retroactively thinking like, oh, it's being ripped off. But it's just the value of the market at that time. I think, um, yeah, like it's one of those things where there's always going to be that standard RRP of like 40, 50 pounds, which obviously was a big deal when EA and Sony and everybody started introducing the 70 pound price mark, um, which I know is the whole thing, 70, 80 dollars uh, in America. But yeah, it's it's at the minute, it's vaguely settled on 70 as like the new benchmark. But then even that, you still get Robocop is 50. Um, you know, you get titles that are a bit less, but there's, there's like an assumed RRP of 70, but that's the highest it's been in gaming history, which is, I get the argument um, that we ha- they've been underselling for so long, and like the production uh, cost of a game has gone up exponentially, but the unit cost has only gone up by about 10 or $20 dollars or pounds, um, and that argument that like, oh, it needs to go up because the average budget is like a few hundred million at this point, or thousand, sorry, at this yeah. point. Um, I get that argument, but I, yeah, like you said, it's a, it's a weird way to try and justify time spent because um, the unit cost is so much higher anyway, which in theory, to me, the issue is more the budgets. It's more um, trying to plan better on that side and not let entire revisions of games go out the door <laughs> or go out the window because um, you need to change some levels around or rewrite the story because you ditched a level or whatever it is. Um, I think that stuff is where it needs to be fixed rather than just overcharge the consumer. Yeah, um, no, I totally agree. I mean, yeah. they, like, they, they can't they can't start using this excuse if they're going to keep monetizing the live service elements mm. as well. Like, they, there's no way you can be like, oh, we're going to charge. You could get 800 hours out of a multiplayer game, so we're going to charge you over 100 quid for it. Well, no, because mm. you're going to support that with live service elements. Anyway. I would like. I get it. Like over the years, it was like there was a whole controversy around DLC. There was a whole controversy around on disc DLC, and the argument then was like, well, you know, the the teams keep working after they go gold, and we need, we can charge more for this extra content. And then we had the microtransaction stuff, and then we had the live service stuff and like and then nft stuff and multiplayer or, passes yeah multiplayer like, battle, yeah battle passes as well like that idea of like the the core unit cost is not enough and like maybe that's true um and that eventually like across the last few years um with the ps5 and everything the unit cost went up and then but then the assumption would be okay so we don't need the live service stuff but they just do it anyway because there is a lot of greed in the industry anyway and so like, i would love more actual industry insight into this um, and maybe through stevie we can get that like she has a lot of contacts across the industry and she might know a bit more of this about this anyway um but yeah back to the gta 6 thing about them charging over 70 I don't know, but they could, and people would pay it, and that might be a weird mark on the industry. I wouldn't be surprised if... Well, I would be surprised to a degree I think it's if their base is £100. Well, the, thing, the thing for me is, like, you know, people who are actual hardcore video game enthusiasts who buy every game, they... Uh, that's a rare portion of the industry, I feel like. For people who buy video games, video games are lucrative because people pick up like one to two things a year, mm. I feel. Unless you're a fiend like me. Uh, unless you're a fiend like Scott Tailford <laughs> or you like are a freelancer and you can justify it as a tax yeah. write-off or whatever. Um, for me, I, I could see that because like, again, Call of Duty has gotten more and more expensive over the previous years. FIFA's gotten more and more mm. expensive over the previous years. The microtransactions alone, net, net Activision and EA respectively, millions upon millions of dollars oh, yeah. each year. Mm-hmm. Um, I could totally see them getting away with charging GTA at, at that price point because it's been however long since the, since the previous one. There's all that excitement and enthusiasm. It's going to be the game that everyone will want to buy. Video mm-hmm. games are literally going to move their release dates around GTA <laughs> 6 to avoid being smothered. Um, I could see them doing that. And people, I don't think, I don't think average casual video game enjoyers um, will be annoyed about that mm. as much as they would otherwise be because it's going to be the one big treat. That's the thing. It depends. Yeah, it's like video games are increasingly viewed as a luxury. Like the PlayStation 5 has been is akin to Apple at this point. Like it's a luxury brand. You're paying for a luxury product. Um, Sony's first party stuff is, especially visually, 
leagues ahead of, of most of the stuff in the competition uh, for the competition. Um, I don't want them to charge, you know, increasingly more, but I think that from their point of view, uh, putting the, the Strauss Zellneck cap on for a bit, you can see why on a pure business level, they look at GTA 5 and go, we charged you for something in 2013 that you played for 10 years and you played for thousands of hours. Um, how much can we get away with charging you for that initial price when you're going to play GTA? Who knows when GTA 7 even comes out? Like 2040? Like, like, how do we charge you for the next 10 years of GTA? It's a terrifying like, thought. I know, and I, I, they'll have <laughs> had those conversations. And it's like, there's GTA Online as well, but the people who don't care about GTA Online, how do we try and apply a modern day price point to 50, 60, 80, 100 hours of single player GTA? Like, and it, it is by far the most lucrative property on the planet. Like, it's it's the highest selling property on the planet. So, like, I can see them having to issue um, a lot of restraint in that regard, but I also think they might just give in to it. Yeah, there's, there's also the argument that, like, well, we don't want to overprice it because even if people are going to make it their one treat a year, we can still outprice people even if we charge up. So oh, yeah. So you'd be yeah. conscious of that. You know, GTA is the people's game. You know, it's, <laughs> yeah, everyone wants to get their hands on it. So... Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, also I'm curious about this. Completely off topic. I'm curious about what the media controversies are going to be when GTA 6 comes out. Because we had them for every single incarnation. Five was really flat. Oh, there was the torture stuff. They, I felt more like that was Rockstar trying than anyone actually mm. acknowledging it. Like, like if, as someone who lived through and reported on to some degree, yeah. like the, um, well, reported on in retrospect after it happened, but lived through all the Jack Thompson stuff yeah. and all of the, the parent scaring stuff of the original 3D trilogy, it was, it was nothing compared to that. I felt like they tried that. I mean, look, we're doing a torture sequence. And most of the same culprits, the Fox News, the whatevers, just went like, okay. Cool. That's because they're pro-torture, aren't they? <laughs> now you're speaking our language. It was, um, yeah, I feel like it was the, um, it was more of the, it was a post-night, like the whole yes. Carmageddon, Doom, Mortal Kombat, yeah. it was the hangover from that. Like, wouldn't someone think of the children? That stuff. Whereas now, gaming is an adult pursuit. Gaming's average um, player age is like 35. So it's like, most people know what this is at this point. And I think if you're trying to do a, oh my God, the kids headline, um, or oh my God, violence, most people just go like, yeah, okay. I see it all the time. I see worse stuff on the news or whatever yeah. it is. Um, but yeah, anyway, massive thank you to everybody for sending in their various questions. I did want to end on you done messed up Aaron's little comment who says, all we want for Christmas is the lovely What Culture family to be well in both body and mind. What a beautiful little sentiment Aww. to send their podcast off. Um, but yeah, massive thank you to everybody for sending in their various questions. Ivan Scott Hilford, that's a video ending, but that's you in person. From whatculture.com. I guess you saw me coming. <laughs> and we'll catch you all next time. When we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com/style for free shipping and 365-day returns. 
Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.